This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. You're listening to Manawatu People's Radio. Kia ora, Whanau. Welcome to Calling All Workers, the weekly radio show from Unions Manawatu. I'm John Shannon. You can contact us on Facebook at Union Central or by email at rebelshot, that's R-E-B-E-L-S-H-O-T, at connect, K-I-N-E-C-T, dot co, dot N-Z. Calling all workers, the purpose of the show is to raise the profile of unions, advertise union events, present stories and issues of interest to workers, and to build community support for union campaigns and activities. And as usual, I'll start with a quote from David Runciman in the London Review of Books. The direction of travel over the last 40 years has been in the neoliberals' favour towards deregulation, market competition, globalisation and winner-take-all economics. Now, though, the future may be open to lasting change. We may have reached a turning point toward the assertion of greater social control over economic outcomes. Inequality is the focus of political debate around the world. Now, today with me, I am overjoyed to have Tali Williams, who is the Acting Secretary of the New Zealand Council of Trade Unions, Takawa Kamati. Uh, welcome, uh, kia ora there, Tali. Happy New Year. Kia ora and Happy New Year to you too. Uh, could you tell listeners uh, a bit about the role and purpose of the, the CTU and, and maybe a bit about what you're up to? Sure. Um, so, yeah, the New Zealand Council of Trade Unions, uh, Te Koe Kamahi, is the peak body of unions um, for New Zealand. Um, so we exist to unite uh, unions to enable them to consult and cooperate with each other for the common good um, and to help achieve the agreed aims um, of those um, collected unions. Um, so that's, that's um, our purpose. Um, and the type of work that we carry out includes um, running national campaigns um, in the interest of workers, lobbying government in the interest of workers, um, and helping our affiliated unions uh, progress their aims as well. Great. Um, so today we're going to talk about the Worker Confidence Survey recently published by the CTU. We hear in the media all the time about uh, consumer confidence surveys, business confidence surveys. I note the latest one says 34% of businesses predict their conditions will deteriorate. And also rural confidence surveys, although they're scrambling to find negatives to criticise the government because farmers' incomes are going through the roof currently. Now, there is the worker confidence survey. What's this? Why is this important? Yeah, I guess um, you, you've hit the nail on the head right there. We're always hearing about the mood of the boardroom, um, you know, what the CEOs are thinking, what those um, you know, in powerful positions are thinking. But we very seldom hear what are those on the front lines, um, you know, who have carried us through this pandemic and so on. What are the workers thinking? Um, and I think the mood of the workforce survey is really exciting in the way that it does present or it asks those questions and presents those views. 
So we've been running this survey now for about four years, um, and we the survey covers around 1,500 uh, workers, a mixture of union and non-union, uh, to, to get those views and get them together and present them to the public and to the mainstream um, in a way that doesn't tend to happen otherwise. Right, and and the the mood of the workforce is important, isn't it, because of the the impact that such a large number of people have on the economy, their spending and the taxes they pay and so on. It's it's relevant that people should know that rather than just the interests of the business elite. Yes, exactly. And it tends to be if we just leave it to the to the voices of the business elite, then it's constantly, you know, um, doom and gloom whenever it's it's talking about, you know, improvements to workers' lives. Um, and um, we, we need to hear the positive stories um, and hear those stories straight from the, um, the mouths of workers. Right, and I presume this current survey overhanging it is the big issue of COVID and the COVID response. The workers have been really at the front line, haven't they? Have, uh, it's not the business executives, it's the workers who are there on the coalface. Yes, I think this pandemic has really shown us um, those people who are so critical to our society and they do tend to be the people, unfortunately, right now who are, you know, severely underpaid, um, which just doesn't seem right um, when they're the ones that we've relied on to, you know, keep us safe, keep us fed um, and keep the country moving over the past um, year or so. Um, And I think what we've See, what we've sort of found from this kind of mood of the tea room is it's never been so low um, since we started running this survey as it has been this year. Life on the job is harder um, and um, because of the COVID environment and wages aren't reflecting that. Right, so the most important people are the most underpaid, the most, the paid the least. Uh, that seems, doesn't really fit with the mantra of capitalism of... Uh, you know, where the resources should be going, does it? No, absolutely not. Um, and certainly it, it disproves the, the theory of trickle-down, um, that the way that people are able to achieve more is through is through organising. Um, but I guess the types of things that we were hearing, for example, you know, about 70% of the respondents said that wages aren't keeping up uh, with cost of living increases. Uh, that's quite alarming um, because cost of living, of course, is shot through the roof. Um, we had a lot of people um, struggling with, um, you know, uh, increases to petrol, housing costs at record levels, and people are really struggling from paycheck to paycheck. And that particular item, that particular issue, has such a large effect on families, on children and uh, their ability to be able to advance and and improve their lot. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, when we sort of... uh, Some of the comments, I guess, coming through, for example, from supermarket workers who were critical frontline workers for us over the past couple of years, um, talking about how much they struggle to even, you know, um, be able to um, pay basic bills and make sure the children are fed um, the way that they should be, yet here they are performing this critical kind of um, task for our society. Uh, It's just not right. I see one of the other categories is about the fairness of wages, and a huge majority, 70%, say that wages are not fair. Yes. So again, we heard from people that they feel their wages are not um, fair, 
um, and that they're not consistent within their industries. Um, this again is a really important point um, in a year um, when there's been so much struggle um, and so much stress based on what COVID has presented us with or with the workforce. Um, but people are still having to stress just about you know, the normal day-to-day costs. That in itself um, is, 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 is an added pressure in an environment which is already very difficult. And I suppose it vindicates the decision of unions to put such an emphasis in pay equity issues uh, nowadays, you know, that fairness issue is, is really um, something that's important to workers. Yes, absolutely. Um, the other, one of the other categories it looks at is um, workloads, and there we have a very high percentage of people saying they've got worse. Yeah, so um, 58.8% reported that their workloads had increased um, and um, 50% saying that their work-life balance was off filter. Um, And I guess part of that workload increase for, for example, frontline workers, people who were still out there in the field, um, is there's more of those protocols that they need to oversee because of the the pandemic response. Um, So those expectations regarding health and safety Measurements in place, you know, making sure people have vaccine passes, making sure that all of the um, social distancing protocols and so on are adhered to. So that they're expected to do that sort of oversight on top of their normal original workloads. Um, so that's one sort of source of extra work. And then on the other side as well, covering for those who need to be away from the front line because they're sick or have vulnerable people at home. Um, and, of course, employers are not employing more people um, to cover that. Um, they're simply expecting those there to, to work harder, and that's what we're seeing reflected here in the survey. Right. The um, um, Sorry. Those uh, working at home, yeah. um, the, the sort of the, the work-life balance that they're talking about there that's gone off kilter is about that availability is now assumed outside of hours, so it used to be, you know, five o'clock, you could close your computer, get up and go home. But now the expectation is, well, you're in front of your computer at home anyway, um, you need to keep on, on working. That's the type of thing we heard from people working from home. And we heard a lot about the borders being closed too and the reliance that New Zealand's had for so long on importing cheap labour from overseas. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, so employers have been, um, you know, crying out saying um, it's not fair, we can't get in um, the, the staff that we need. What they're really saying is that they can't pay the, the poor wages um, that they've been paying for so long, um, most commonly to migrant workers, um, and that they do actually need to address the money that they are paying people um, because that's causing the, the staffing issues that they're struggling with. There's no attraction to these jobs um, when they're paid minimum wage, um, or, or um, people are struggling to, to you know, to, to make ends meet on the wages they pay. So that's sort of like, while employers are talking a lot about that, that struggle with attracting staff, there does need to be more communication, I think, more discussion in society about what wages are they paying um, and really draw that into account rather than just simply feel sorry for them um, and, and let those, um, the, the skeleton staff left behind struggle um, with the numbers they have. I was um, 
quite interested in the, I was very interested in the uh, response regarding the question on job satisfaction. I think in most of the categories um, that were surveyed, the majority were largely saying things were unchanged and, you know, training opportunities, things like that. But a very high majority say their job satisfaction today is worse than it was 12 months ago. Yeah, and I think that is largely reflected in the types of stressors they're experiencing under um, COVID and also the um, struggles that they're having with their wages as well. I think there's a lot of mental health issues also coming up for people um, who, you know, when we're in this sort of very uncertain environment, um, you're sort of thrown from pillar to post not knowing what's going to happen the next day regarding you know, alert levels and all that kind of thing. So I think that's reflected too in how people are generally feeling. I think there was a rather facile statement from someone in the business community that said if workers were unhappy, they should change their jobs. This survey tends, tends to show that, in fact, that's not a rational response to the situation the economy faces. Yes, exactly. And, and it's in fact, it's, it's very offensive um, because really um, what we should be doing is valuing workers right now and valuing that it's a really tough time for people and that the least that an employer can do is make sure that people can, you know, feed their families and pay the bills. That's the least that they could do rather than uh, throwing around, um, you know, such comments as if you don't like it, leave. Incredibly unhelpful at a time like this. I think there was a lot of conversation, Tali, back in my early days in the trade union movement about um, worker um, control, you know, and uh, um, worker participation in, in management as a means to, of attracting workers to stay and to develop a career and to really add value into the workplace. That debate about worker control has, has sort of dissipated in the subsequent years of the Employment Contracts Act and everything moving power to the hands of uh, employers and away from workers. But this survey would tend to me to show the need for us to return to that issue about giving empowerment to workers in the workplace. Yeah, I think it's um, it's very stark um, that um, in the survey results it's that where people are happier with their wages, it tends to be in those unionised environments where they have a collective agreement, where, where they're being, um, where their wages and conditions are being negotiated collectively. Um, so that's a, a massive um, uh, shows a, a massive need for in terms of our response um, of organising um, and punching out, particularly into those currently unorganised um, workplaces because we know that that is the solution. Um, Bosses aren't going to do what's right unless they're made to do what's right. Um, And the way that we do that is both through um, unionising and organising and also there needs to be that pressure and regulation from the government as well. I think one of the positive feedback um, results came with health and safety, that uh, a large percentage of workers do report that they feel they have some say in that aspect of their workplace. Yeah, I think that's good, and I think it reflects um, some of the improvements that have been made to health and safety legislation that require more worker participation and involvement. Um, So that's good to see, but I think there's still 
um, it seems to be a bit of a gap because on, on one hand we understand that workload issues lead to health and safety problems and that workload issues are still a huge problem for workers. Um, but that doesn't seem to be reflected in people's views about health and safety. So it's almost like there's a disconnect between workload issues and health and safety. In fact, they're the same thing. Um, so I think that sort of points to an area that, that unions can be organising in, is, is you know, pulling, pulling those two stories together and making people realise when we're in these health and safety forums, we should be raising issues around workload. The uh, other um, factor that I picked up on in the survey was around the issue of job security, which appears to be causing really significant anxiety amongst workers. A third of them say they lost their job or lived in fear of losing it in the last uh, 12 months. Is that related to COVID only or is there a wider connection there? Um, I think it's are mainly related to COVID in terms of the uncertainty. Um, but I think there is, particularly in a situation where people don't necessarily have you know, redundancy pay to rely on things like that, it's always a fear in the back of their heads. So we had in the survey 65% of people say that they had poor or very poor financial capability to manage a three-month period of unemployment. That's very concerning in the current climate, um, particularly in the face of, you know, potentially what could happen with Omicron, um, that people are saying, you know, we, we feel this anxiety uh, is very real, um, that we're not going to be able to make ends meet um, if we lose work. And losing work seems like likely potentiality. Uh, that, that seems to be what people are saying. And that must have uh, been the driver behind the CTU starting this campaign and lobbying process to uh, try and achieve a social unemployment insurance deal? Yeah, so basically what it points to and what we've known for some time is there does need to be better income support for those who lose jobs. Um, and um, one way that that can happen um, very effectively is through social unemployment insurance, which such a proposal would pay about 80% of wages for a period similar to sort of an, the ACC-style scenario. Um, so while, pe- while people are out of work, um, they would receive 80% of their wages, um, giving them time to find a job, you know, for example, in their current industry, rather than being pushed um, by working income or, or, you know, into low-paid work. Um, they, they would have some time to be able to figure out what it, how they can best utilise their skills in society. Listeners may be... Can fused with the issue of unemployment uh, benefit of the dole and social unemployment insurance. There's a, there's a difference there. Yes. Um, so the, the particular thing about um, the social unemployment insurance is that what you're paid is in, in relation to what your payment was um, when you were working. Um, so say, for example, at the moment you, have, you might have a situation where a, a pilot is made redundant, um, they go on to work an income and they're, they're, what they're paid is almost like minimum wage or less than the minimum wage. Um, so it's a massive um, fall in terms of their wages. What, what this would mean is that 80% of their wages would continue to be paid while they were out looking for work um, that um, fit their skill base. And that again would have a big impact on the families of those uh, of those uh, workers too, wouldn't it? Yes, absolutely. And of course, 
when there is less money in people's pockets, it means there's less, less money in, a, in the economy as well, or less spending. Um, so it's really critical um, that we're not um, pushing people onto these um, low working income levels, um, which actually, to be honest, need to be lifted as well. Welfare, welfare payments need to be lifted too. The other um, campaign that uh, CTU is really tied up with, and which is one support from the government for, is fair pay agreements and the mm. generally um, improving the bargaining power of, of uh, labour. Uh, can you explain to listeners a bit about the fair pay agreement? Yeah, um, so fair pay agreements will allow... Um, workers within an entire industry to negotiate a national agreement which covers their industry, um, called a fair pay agreement. Um, and the workers, whether you're union or non-union, any worker within that industry would be covered by what those rates of pay and conditions were, almost similar to the Australian system of the awards. So, for example, in Australia, you've got a retail award. So within any employer within a within retail must pay these specific rates or adhere to these certain conditions um, that are above um, the minimum wage and so on um, and, and set those minimums. So that's what we're seeking um, within fair pay agreement legislation in New Zealand is something very similar. Um, it will allow for um, massive bargaining power across these industries for workers um, and allow workers to organise together across an entire industry to ensure that there is a minimum floor in that industry rather than what we have at the moment, which is a sort of spiral downwards. Um, and even, you know, there are a lot of employers that we're talking to, some of the better employers are saying, we can't wait for this legislation because it's going to stop those exploitative employers within our industry um, from undercutting us by paying really low wages and so on. Um, so, yeah, we'll lift up the rates um, within those industries. And I think we'll deal a lot of some, with um, a lot of these problems that people have been raising in the survey. And indeed, uh, the point you make about Australia is that fair pay agreements do work. They do uh, actually produce good outcomes. This fear-mongering that uh, Business New Zealand's putting out, you know, that it'll be some centralised state monopoly and so on is, is uh, just simply flying in the face of reality where these fair pay agreements overseas have worked. Absolutely. And, I mean, um, testament to that is Australians, on average, earn about 38% more than New Zealand workers. And, and people know that. That's a general understanding that in Australia people get paid better. That's because of the award system, which is what is about to come um, in the form of fair pay agreements here in New Zealand. So it is a really exciting opportunity Um and that um, legislation will, is likely to be announced um, around March, and that'll be a matter of making sure that you know um, all of us as workers are putting in submissions in support of fair pay agreements, being as strong as possible, um, because we know that business will be organising against them. And testament to that is Business New Zealand coming out saying we're not, we don't support fair pay agreements because they know that. They'll have to give some of their profits over and uh, to their workers, uh, which they don't like. So we need to counterbalance that by putting in those submissions saying we need this legislation, we need this um, improvement. I feel a campaign coming on. We'll be having rallies Indeed. 
in the convention centre here, no doubt. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Now, um, well, th- you know, thank you for that uh, conversation, and um, I wonder if you might uh, just muse a bit on what twenty twenty two holds for you and the CTU moving forward. We've talked obviously about fair pay agreements, but there no doubt are other things around pay equity and other things that are happening as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think definitely one of the problems um, that we experience right now is the interruption of the the various um, responses that need to be put in place regarding Omicron um, or uh, um, other COVID-19 variants. Um, which tend to inter- interrupt our plans. <laughs> um, so what I'm hoping is that, um, that that it's not a feature of 2022 so that we can progress this imp- critical legislation around fair pay agreements, around social unemployment insurance, um, but also that we can progress the campaigns that we have um, reg- regarding you know, advancing um, decent work, um, shaping the future of work, so ensuring lifelong work- learning for workers, um, supporting displaced workers, um, the work that we want to do regarding progressing pay equity, securing pay transparency legislation, um, and building um, our um, membership, of course, across across the union movement as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done in 2022. We just need to make, you know, um, push ahead as, as best we can within a very sort of an, an environment that tends to distract us. Um, right now, towards COVID nineteen, unions are growing again now. Um, yes, they are growing. Um, all of our um, affiliates are doing well in that respect, um, and that's really exciting. I think one of the the, the challenges that um, lockdowns etc have presented to us is how we continue to unionise and grow um, in an environment which is not usual. Um, because, for example, before it was just a matter of going to a work site and talking to workers about joining the union. Now there's limitations about those visits and, and, and being in front of people um, um, for various reasons. So we need to get more savvy about joining people up um, online um, and having those conversations over the phone or over Zoom, um, but just maintaining that contact with workers no matter what. Whatever format it takes, we have to keep communication going and keep organising. We have to grow and move forward. Well, thank you very much, Tully, for your time, and uh, I'm sure listeners found that very interesting. And uh, the best of uh, luck for 2022. Right. Thank you very much. We'll move on, finish up with a bit of music. Thanks. <laughs> Sisters, brothers, never we can stand Hold that picket line Hold that line Hold that line Sisters, brothers, never we can stand Hold that picket line Oh, we're standing here together One for all and all for one And we'll keep right on here standing Till our victory we have won We're united in the struggle No, there's none us can divide We're nothing to the enemy Cause we're justice on our side Singing now, hold that line Hold that line Sisters, brothers, never we can stand And hold that picket line Hold that line Hold 
line Sisters, brothers, never we can stand And hold that picket line Hold that line against the bosses When they try to drive us back Hold that line against the coppers And their on attacks Hold that line against the government Against all enemies of our class Hold that line against the scabs To know we'll never let them pass Singing now, hold that line Hold that line Sisters, brothers, never we can stand Hold that picket line Hold that line Hold that line Sisters, brothers, never we can stand Hold that picket line Who before us saw the fort And we're standing with the martyred ones Whose lives our rights have bought But there's more room yet beside us If you'll come and join our cause For the chains that now enslave you They are all you have to lose Singing now, hold that line Hold that line Sisters, brothers, never we can stand Hold that picket line Hold that line Hold that line Sisters, brothers, never we can stand Hold that picket line Brothers, never we can stand and hold that picket line. Hold that line, hold that line. Sisters, brothers, never we can stand and hold that picket line. Hold that line, hold that line. Sisters, brothers, never we can stand and hold that picket line. Hold that line, hold that line. Sisters, brothers, never we can stand and hold. Stand and hold. this show and others like it by giving a donation for more information go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate